Hello and welcome to Jam Sessions. I'm Daniel Roby, CEO and founder of ThinkJam. And today I'm joined by the brilliant Anna Heidecker, our fantastic senior account director. And we're going to have a fascinating conversation today with Alec McNair. Alec has had a fantastic career building up a brilliant social agency, Mookbeard, which sold to full screen and eventually became part of the AT&T Warner Media Group. And now he's developing his new business, Synonymous. 2020 has been a year of change. For so many businesses, that change has resulted in no office space and having teams working remotely globally. But this hasn't been new to Alex. McBeard had a staff of 150 people all working remotely. And today we delve a bit deeper with Alec to get some advice and insights on how remote workforces can have a positive impact on your business. We started off by asking Alec to give us a bit of backstory of how McBeard was started. We started McBeard mostly on a lark. Alan and I had known each other at that point for about a decade. Um, we both went to the same college here in Los Angeles at Pepperdine University. He was a, a couple of years ahead of me and was working in like that dot-com boom of the late 90s, early 2000s, um, working for a company called uh, Jupiter Research, then Jupiter Media Metrics. He was technically my first boss out of college. We worked there together for about a year. Uh, doing um, really market research and consulting for companies. I worked for him for about a year and then the whole thing, the whole bubble burst, you know, 2001. And uh, we were both kind of laid off on our separate ways. Um, both um, had spent that time apart really pursuing writing, Alan doing more traditional copywriting, marketing strategy, and me um, doing a mix of um, web development and um, a night hustle trying to get into the entertainment industry. But uh, we found ourselves co-freelancing and made this website called Historical Tweets, which was essentially an excuse to tell history jokes via this new website called Twitter. And we had three and a half million people visit that site in one weekend. And one of those people was a guy uh, who was an executive at Nokia, who essentially hired us to be copywriters for him. And so that's how McBeard at the very beginning was born. Um, and it was right as social media was um, really changing from being this tech industry centric maybe college student, uh, useful tool, and really was becoming a broad platform for everybody. And at the same time, all those companies uh, were starting to build, um, you know, ad platforms and ad sales teams. And so uh, we built McBeard really as an extension of our creative and, and marketing strategy. Uh, but then as social media became this thing that you no longer just, you know, quote, through to your intern, uh, there were people who were um, hungry for better content, better strategy on social. Uh, and we made the de decision really quickly to focus only on social media. And because of our, um, you know, our background doing strategy and creative work, um, we were really unique uh, to be one of the only places in town uh, to have not just our best people working on social, but that's the only thing that we did. So our, our pitch, um, you know, early days was we don't do websites, we don't do um, banner ads, we don't do, we don't do, we don't do. The list was very long. Um, but if you want the best social media, um, we're really um, your best bet there. So um, McBeard uh, was uh, obviously uh, Alec McNair, Alan Beard, the two of us. Uh, we grew from just the two of us. And then a guy named Dar Darnell Briscoe came on pretty early. So three of us up to about 150 people in three years from 2012 to 15. 
um, which was really quick. Um, mostly early days in the entertainment business, um, movie studios and TV networks, uh, but then branching out into brands like Coca-Cola and AT&T um, and others. And that's when uh, in 2015, we were acquired by a company called Fullscreen, which was largely known for influencer services and YouTube-centric marketing campaigns. And so they were looking for companies to help them build out their offerings to brand clients and acquiring a social agency was a big part of that. So uh, acquired by uh, Fullscreen in 2015. And then over the next couple of years, Fullscreen and other digital um, companies were kind of rolled up into this thing called Otter Media, which was then um, sold to uh, uh, to Warner Media, um, now part of AT and T. So over the course of ten years, the two of us to being one of um, like four hundred thousand employees in AT and T. So it was a, a quite a decade. So I remember having a few beers with you during that decade. Yep, and and, and enjoying the stories of how you were developing the business. But I remember one particular beer when I left you guys and I went back to my hotel room and I got out a piece of paper and it's a true story mm. and started writing down, wow, how do these guys do it without an office? Mm. Yep. And I had I think three offices at the time, London, New York, LA, mm -hmm. we had close to a hundred people. And then I looked at how much we could save the efficiencies, the headaches, the stresses. Yeah. And tried to figure out how to re-engineer that, which was, complicated now now we're in a world where even if we had 30 offices we couldn't go to any of them right what made you decide at that time at the beginning of your business to be that type of infrastructure yeah it it started uh, mostly because alan and i went the first time we worked together um, at jupiter uh, we were the only two jupiter employees that weren't in new york and so we were, you know, West Coast uh, people. Uh, we worked from home. We had no office here. And so we were used to that. And that was back in the day when you just had, you know, Outlook and uh, AOL Instant Messenger. And those were only, only real tools for working remotely. Um, but uh, by the time we started working together again, you know, we live about an hour away from each other in, in Los Angeles. And so we weren't going to try to get together all the time. Uh, we weren't going to take on the expense of having an office and we had this history working remotely. And so it was just the two of us. That was easy. Um, obviously, a lot more tools by then um, allowed us to, to make that a little bit easier. And when we started hiring, we had no money. And so we were just, uh, you know, a, a cash strapped startup and um, we were not going to take on the expense of doing all that. Um, and so we just added one person and they were going to work remotely like us and then two people and then three people. And then by the time we get to you know, a half dozen people, we start building some systems that work for multiple people in terms of file management, Dropbox and other things become more prevalent. And so there were a lot of tools available for us that made that possible. Um, but it started, it started with the stubbornness of the two founders <laughs> um, to not want to travel to each other um, and then really just committing to that. And what started as a preference really um, turned out to be a, a big advantage um, because it allowed us to hire outside of um, outside of Los Angeles, uh, hire uh, hire people um, that wanted to work from home, and um, and made people happier. I mean, we we found during our time that not only um, did people enjoy and uh, not having the commute and saving, you know, an hour and a half, two hours a day in the car, um, that makes them more productive and efficient. Um, they just liked the idea of not having to go to a place and feel micromanaged. And so that was not just a, a business advantage from the cost savings, but actually a tactical advantage because people really wanted that way of working. 
with with the force of the pandemic, there are a lot of businesses that are really essentially retrofitting into that virtual first environment. Yeah. yeah. So if we were to go back to maybe zooming out on a macro level and reimagining kind of post-pandemic organizations, um, that's something that you've already pioneered. What would you say are those top three critical focuses that a business needs to consider? So we had a real advantage because we never had an office. We weren't shifting away from that. Um, one of the things that we did experience, though, once we were acquired was full screen uh, probably had about 300 employees and we had about 150 and so we were adding a big chunk of people percentage-wise to this company. And, um, and they had a handful of offices around the country, um, big one in LA, um, smaller one in New York, and then really tiny ones, a handful of people in a couple other cities. Um, and so they already had this interesting dynamic happening where they are already had teams who were quote unquote working remote because you had LA folks working with New York folks. And so some of that was already happening. Um, but they had a very office-centric environment. And one of the big challenges we had over the years um, was taking people that were in office and trying to both have them work with and feel camaraderie with people who weren't in the office every day. Um, and one of the challenges um, we always found um, was there's this uh, thing that happens as, as human beings that if um, someone else is getting something that you think they're getting special pr- treatment, and so over the years, quote unquote, full screen people would be jealous of McBeard people and vice versa, thinking that like, oh, well, they're getting something that I'm not and, and, and all that in terms of privileges and, and opportunities. And so we, we had to get a better sense of um, shared language and ways and norms of meeting. Um, little things that happen, you know, when you're in an office um, and you know there's a meeting happening, but you see the conference room and it's empty, you know, oh, I can go run this little errand. I can get myself a coffee. I can do whatever and I can be late. But if you're meeting with people who are remote, they don't have that advantage usually because they don't have video into the room. And so they're on time, but everyone who's live is late. And so you have these things that happen that kind of rub people the wrong way. And so you have to figure out some way to force those um, tiny insults or things out into the open so we can talk about them. Because in this situation, this is all new for everybody. And so these things are kind of pent up. And if you don't have a place where you can discuss them or you don't have managers or leadership actively talking about them, it doesn't feel like it's a safe place where you can like discuss these uh, tiny gripes. Uh, and so it, it really is a, a leadership issue, uh, but until you can have a sh- uh, an open conversation about how these things are working, you can't get any real progress. When you talk about those shared languages, the norms of the meeting, et cetera, how many of those were supported by kind of you leaning into different digital tools to kind of accommodate? And where does your kind of stance on how digital tools kind of fuel this or hinder that connection of kind of human performance? Yeah, uh, we had this thing that we said, and I, I totally stole it from a conference I went to, um, but we, uh, again, tried trying to build um, shared terminology and shared language. Uh, we said this thing um, that there are three modes of working. Um, there's informative evaluative and generative and informative is really one-way communication and these are informative to me is the worst reason to gather people a live for all the commitment and time it takes to gather people in the same place just to get an information dump of stuff you could have emailed Um, you know obviously you can get people together live and feel like you're giving information and doing some inspiration some emotional connectivity and so in that way there is value in getting people together for some of that commonality and spirit and on all that Um, but just to share information that's the worst reason to invest all that time and energy 
strategy. Evaluative is something where you would have kind of a, think of it as a, a meeting where you're doing a debrief, evaluating what's already happened and, and what your opinion is on it. And so in that situation, you might use a combination of Slack or um, all video chat like we're doing right now. Um, and everyone kind of has equal weight to weigh into the meeting. Um, and then generative. Um, generative you know, is most commonly thought of as brainstorming, right? Let's, let's generate something new together. And for us, um, you know, you have to be much more intentional to, to create the kind of environment that allows for open discussion and new ideas. And well, let's go off in this little pocket and talk about this for a second and, and let, let the meeting kind of go where it goes. And that's the most challenging to do online, obviously, um, and to generate the kind of emotional uh, connectivity and safety that you get when you can get in a room with people. Um, and so you, you got to treat those meetings differently, even if you're using the same tools. So um, there's some intentionality that really needs to happen. Uh, I, I also would say uh, we didn't use these because these are kind of brand new, but I've seen a full wave of um, tools that are trying to address this ambient, consistent connectivity. Um, a lot of um, tools and apps I've seen that like are touting um, this thing that's this tool that allows you to see when people are gathering and have like an impromptu video meeting. And so there's a bunch of those happening right now. And I've, I've experimented with a, a few of them, but none of them so, so much that I've adopted them quickly. Um, but I think that's one of the big things that is hard to replicate in an online environment versus an office, which is kind of, hey, I see people, a couple of people gathering that I don't normally meet with. Let's like just connect for a second. And so how do you, how do you make that happen um, in a way that feels really effective? That's, that's a big challenge. Do you think there's a world where you can, a company can actually overcook the amount of tools and software and solutions that they integrate? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I um, like system fatigue is definitely an issue, and I think it's what Microsoft is trying to do with its whole suite of, of systems. Really building a platform. Obviously, Slack's trying to do the same thing, allowing all of your things to um, ping you in Slack. Right now, um, we're experimenting even with our own small company, and we you know we only have a, a half dozen people, um, but between. Um, Google Calendar and Asana and HubSpot and, you know, a few other things. We're trying to experiment, hey, what combination of things works for us? But what I found is if they're all notifying me in Slack, that's the best place for me to see how those things work. Um, but I think we're going to see a lot of experiment there. Uh, my take is you're only going to get people to log into like email, a Slack product, and like one other thing. And maybe if they have some very unique thing beyond that, you know, like a project management software thing. And then if they have something that's unique to their skill set. I think when it comes to tech, we've already covered kind of parts of that in the classic tools that are used right now. But when it comes to, again, the remote work rapidly increasing, what would you say that the part of what part of the home office would you say is kind of most vulnerable to disruption? I think even when we start to imagine kind of what offices look like, um, you know, I, right now a lot of the conversation is being owned by architects and furniture companies of that sort. But when it comes to either kind of that home office setup or the tools we use, what part of that do you think is being the biggest disruption right now? Disruption. Um, I think the challenge for a lot of people is. Um, that we found is the, the big discrepancy, especially in expensive cities like LA and New York and London and other places where people don't necessarily even have the space to have a good home setup. 
Um, and, uh, you know, obviously this is not just a, how do we work together thing, but it's also a have and have nots thing. You know, how do we maximize situations for people who don't have, um, the extravagance of having an extra room with a door and, and all of that. And so how do we have better conversations around people that have that? Um, I, you know, I found that giving people, um, the, uh, a couple of prescribed situations that they can use to set up their home office. Um, was great, but like to regulate that 0%. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of companies talk about, hey, we make a stipend available for whatever you want to do. Um, uh, what we always did was we provided uh, you, of course, a, a laptop, um, but then a couple peripherals if they wanted them, like a screen and a mouse and a keyboard and all that. So they could have a nice desktop style setup, but then left them to to do whatever else they wanted. And so we had to figure out the best ways to help people in that journey. And, and on the office front, I think the thing you're already experiencing and thinking about is um, I saw an article today that Reddit announced that um, they are, A, going to have people do work from anywhere forever, and that they're going to pay people LA, New York, San Francisco wages, no matter where they live, committing to that, which I thought was interesting. Um, but uh, the subnote on the article was that they are totally rethinking their offices to be very mobile. You can kind of move around. There's places for deep focus. There's places for group meetings. There's um, spots for kind of hoteling desks, things like that, which was uh, what we always did uh, in our offices at full screen where we had spots for about 20, 30 people. Um, although kind of our group had about 150-ish people in, um, in the LA area. So we kind of had actual quote unquote desks for about a fifth of our workforce and then no real scheduling or anything. And we just, it just kind of worked out naturally that like we kind of never had too many people in the office. So we talked a bit about offices, tech, all the, I guess the hard stuff, the physical stuff. Yeah. You know, we've gone, think jam's gone to a working from anywhere model. We've got rid of our London office and our LA office and we've, um, we've actually done really well. What, what I've seen across my team is more collaboration, more creativity. We're working faster. We're working more efficient. There's a, there's a rally where everyone's rolling their sleeves up and getting on with it. That's the force of COVID because we're all in this situation. But in your business, when you didn't have an office, how did you ensure, I guess, the soft stuff, the culture? How do people get to know each other? How do people bond how do you create colleagues that aren't just the work that you're doing how did you get that flowing yeah uh, obviously a lot of intentionality um i think one of one of the the cheats uh, the cheat codes that we activated uh, early days uh, was we actually hired a, a fair number of people out of our first uh, i'm making up this number but um, out of our first 50 people i'd say 40 of them were Pepperdine alumni. And so while they weren't all like best friends and all that, they actually had some shared context and relationships. And so there was, there was a, that, that created a good foundation, right? That, that does help. So it was a, so it was a frat house to begin with. Yeah. We just started a, 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 a houseless frat house. <laughs> and, uh, and so that, that was one thing and that helped, but as we became more sophisticated, we're obviously hiring people um, from different areas. Um, the onboarding process obviously is hugely important. Um, we had a lot of people that were coming from never having worked from home before, um, to working, you know, being expected to work with a, a team that they had not even met in person. 
And so uh, one of the many reasons we kind of kept uh, most of our hiring around city hubs um, during the, the heart of kind of McBeard years, we were 90% LA, um, 5% New York, 5% Atlanta. And so we had people around there. So they could get together if they needed to. And typically we would onboard a person in, in real life for a couple of days during their first week. And we would have a person who was in charge of both training them kind of in the terms and culture and norms and all that stuff of our company, um, but also um, was kind of a, a person that they could um, interact with, ask questions of, um, and that person would kind of set them up with a bunch of meetings in a row. So we kind of tackled all that with a really um, robust um, and intentional onboarding process, um, which also included what we called an, an onboarding buddy, a person who was just made available to you that was a volunteer thing that wasn't in your on your team, um, wasn't um, kind of in your sphere of interaction, but was a person you could ask safe questions of like, hey, where are these files located? Um, what's the, what, how do we find this thing again? And, and so that's the thing. You, you can't really do that as easily, especially for new people when you're um, not in an office together. And then we would have uh, a couple of intentional touch points throughout the week where we would do a Monday call, 30 minute, hey, here's what's happening in the business. Here's a couple of things um, that you need to know about. Here's a couple of things that we're super proud of. Here's uh, some people um, that are doing five minute presentations to everybody for 30 minutes on, on Mondays. And that had a super active Slack conversation happening at the same time where people were expressive and wish people happy birthdays and we announced promotions. And so all this positive energy would happen in what we call the foyer of, uh, of our you know, digital uh, Slack community. Uh, and so all those things happen there. And then I would do typically a recap of the week on Fridays. And so people kind of heard from people around the company a couple times uh, a week and kind of heard um, not just the business aspects, but we would announce on those Friday emails like, hey, here's so-and-so's uh, got married and, you know, all these personal life things. We'd make an, a, an attempt to treat it like a, a small town newspaper. And then in general, we ensured that our culture and our leadership and Alan and I were just friendly and open to conversation and helpful. And part of any, um, you know, culture in, in my book is people seeing how leadership treats each other and treats their direct reports. And they see that as the values of this um, company. And so when people saw me or Alan and other, other leaders on the team um, asking personal questions, knowing personal things about the team, um, you know, interacting with people on Slack, um, you know, whether they were VPs or entry-level coordinators or whatever, um, people knew that this was the kind of place that really valued that. And so that intentionality, it really goes a long way in creating the norms by which people communicate. I'd love to take kind of the intangibles from Daniel's questions and kind of flip that a little bit to the client and generating business side of things. I know that you are a self-appointed, non-necessarily agency guy that you stated at the top of this, but I think the concept that translates cross industries and that's the intangibles of kind of generating business, especially now with COVID and being forced into the virtual atmosphere versus during your McBeard days. But taking those intangibles of seeing a client in their natural habitat, having a glass of wine or a beer with them and gaining those extra added layers of insight. Mm. Um, I think you know, if Daniel were to try to subscribe a number to how many projects were born out of that kind of scenario, it would yeah. be a pretty high number. Sure. How do you grapple with kind of the loss of that ability? And do you think that there's any stand-ins or ways to kind of generate that same level of traction or insight with client side? 
Yeah, it's tough because there's no real analog that that makes sense, right? Um, you know, business dinners or drinks or all that casual coffee, lunches, all that casual stuff that was really low impact relationship building doesn't happen in the same way. So I, I think it's really tough, but I, I think that the fact that we're all in it together uh, makes it good, uh, you know, makes it a, a level playing field. Um, I found that... Um, for me personally, just being personally interested in how, what people's full life is like right now is a big deal. And, and part of that for me is being um, intentional about what I share about myself, um, my family, my kids, what my situation is, what I'm thankful for, what's what's a struggle. I mean, even the fact that I'm like, oh, we got a dog this weekend. And you know, those types of things are the things that come out in these casual, low impact conversations. They're really for relationship building. Um, and those don't happen naturally when you're kind of in meeting over a video chat mode where you're like, God, let's just get down to business and be as efficient as possible. And so my, my, I've taught myself this trick for myself um, that I try to be really good about asking the question, um, the, that's not just how's it going because that's a throwaway, but how's your life? Um, which kind of sounds like a joke and it kind of is, but it kind of allows people to open up a little bit and builds a little bit more of a real relationship. And of course, that's the kind of thing I, I actually care about as a person, not just as a person trying to build sales opportunities and things. I'm really keen to get into your, your new business and how you're going to disrupt and smash that world. Just before, one one big challenge, I think, in the whole working from anywhere, working from home piece is how do you define your day? How do you split the day? You know, my, my day was split between walking to the train, going to the office, doing my meetings, getting the train home. I could listen to the podcast all day long. I could relax. I could, you know, sanitize before I get in and then the mayhem of kids and family start. Sure. And I guess in the US, it's the same with your car journey, right? How do you do that when we are living, breathing, working at home, yeah, it's um, it was a that that was a huge challenge for us um, early days until we built um, really a shared culture on the idea of when am I on, when am I off, right? Um, because a lot of people, uh, even if they quote took their home their work home with them, they kind of felt a mental separation, right? Hey, I can do some things here, but it's gonna gonna be on my terms. Uh, but when you're working at home especially for someone that doesn't you know, have a specific designated, hey, this is where my work happens at this desk in this room with the door shut. And then when I leave this room, hey, I'm a, di I'm a, I'm a different situation. Um, I think everyone um, should create a few different little um, traditions for themselves. Um, it's different for everybody. So you know, I've, I've read about people um, that try to recreate their morning commute by taking a walk around the block, listening to a podcast like you described. And that's their trigger for like, okay, now I go into my office and I do my work and then uh, and kind of recreate that, um, that formality. Um, I, I, obviously, it's really important if you're living with other people, um, whether it's your family or roommates or whatever, to kind of have shared um, shared conversations about, hey, this is what I'm doing in my work. This is kind of what I'm, you know, what I'm trying to do. And so everyone's on the same page about that. Um, it's really easy for everyone to to do those transitions when you're physically leaving your home. 
Uh, but it's it's obviously important to create a little routine for yourself, a little rit- a couple rituals. And uh, you know, for me, uh, I make myself a pot of coffee, and I I watch my youngest while my oldest two are in uh, you know remote school, and my wife helps out with uh, with them. I wrangle uh, the youngest and uh, and the dog now um, for uh, for thirty minutes or so. I do the dishes, and then I walk upstairs to my office, and that that to me is my thing. Um, and so, uh, you know, but everyone has to be uh, much more intentional about um, their own transitions and when they turn off, um, you know, I think that was, a, like I said, that was a huge deal early days because people felt like if they weren't on and available all the time um, on their phones and by email and all that, then they weren't doing quote unquote a good job. Uh, you know, we, we never dictated a schedule of like, Hey, the office times are nine to six. Um, but we did say, Hey, whatever your, your time and schedule is, your only responsibility is to communicate it clearly to your immediate team and then to the clients if you're working directly with clients. Um, and so they kind of know what your situation is and, uh, and will be more accommodating if, if something comes after hours, which of course is fine. Um, but they're, they, they think differently if you've said, Hey, I'm logging off in general at like 6.30. Um, and so if anything's critical, you got to text me. But th- those types of things don't happen if you don't have a, a good um, culture of talking about those things openly and intentionally in your company. So come on, new business. Alan and I have been talking for a while and kind of knew we'd do something together, but didn't know quite what. Yeah. Um, but uh uh, we ended up um, just chatting about what we might want to do, what our thoughts were on, you know, working together again, and and how do we make uh, this time both different in terms of just like market positioning and trying to present ourselves as something other than McBeard 2.0, um, but also what's fulfilling at this point in our career, which is vastly different than a decade ago and all of that. So. What came out of it um, was a, a desire to continue to work on business problems. We didn't see ourselves and, and don't see ourselves as quote unquote, you know, advertising agency people. Uh, but we do like the idea of building a team and building a company that serves clients. And so we wanted to figure out what that could look like. And so what we've settled on is a, a company called Synonymous. Essentially, it's taking our experience doing business strategy and insights and kind of the, the things that both of us are really good at, um, but building a foundation underneath it um, that is um, a real technology platform to use unstructured data to build insights and then us try to figure out how do we take those insights and make them into actual strategy. Um, the thing that we were always really successful at um, with McBeard was, I think, a good read on how people use social channels. Um, but that was mostly gut and research. <laughs> and hey, no, no problem with that. We, we built a big company on, uh, on our gut and um, kind of a collection of people that had really good guts like ours. Um, but increasingly, you know, we wanted to have more sophistication than that. So we feel like this technology that we've acquired um, is a foundational layer on uh, on top of the thing that we're already kind of known for and good at. And I'm assuming it's, you know, a traditional businesses, business with offices in each city. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Um, yeah, we're LA, Chicago, Moscow. So uh, those are our, our three big, uh, big spots. No, um, yeah, no, no offices. And, obviously no plan for one. Amazing. Listen, I think you've, you've given our listeners a lot of lessons and insight and tips. You've certainly given me 
it's a good opportunity to say thanks to you. You've given me a lot of insight and tips. It was five years ago or six years ago when I realized I didn't want offices anymore. And it's taken this pandemic to actually execute on that initiative. And I think it's a hard thing to navigate. And I think um, there's a lot of things that need to sort of be fleshed out as things develop, certainly as we've touched on today. culture and new starters and making people feel secure in a team when they don't even know or meet their team. Yeah. The the interesting thing about this season, about offices in general, and this is something Alan and I have talked about a lot. um, uh, The mindset historically has been, you know, for our type of work, um, an office is a place where the business happens. And now an office is just a tool that you can use to your advantage or not use. And so, changing that mindset around the, the necessity of, uh, of an office to do business, um, to, to stroke egos, to make people feel a certain way, all of that. There, there are going to be a lot of businesses that need an office um, for all of the um, important and petty reasons, um, and we'll still use an office successfully. But I think um, a, renewed, um, a renewed conversation around the pragmatism of what tools do we actually need to do our business, um, I think is a great thing. And let's, let's tear down anything that isn't necessary and holds us back. I am so goddamn bored of every headline, any of the trades to do with agencies and media and advertising, mm. just talking about what the office is and what the office isn't. And I'm building up the courage to start replying and just, just get on with your business. Stop yeah. Stop debating something that for at least the next six months is not physically possible anyway. Yeah. And read the room. Like so many people want the flexibility to do it their own way. Right. We, we say this all the time about consumer businesses. Like, hey, uh, you know, why are people dumping their cable and going to Netflix and all these other things? Well, because people want the freedom to do it their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and why is that any different in our employee base? Yeah, People want to live where they want to live and they want the best paying job they can get that allows them to have the best life they want. Um, for some people, that's renting 20 square feet of an apartment in New York. And for some people, they want a 2,000 square foot um, house in Des Moines, Iowa, because it's close to their family and they can have a good life and not feel like they're never getting ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I also think there's a big piece and you touched on it a little bit with cost and commuting and all that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. But actually, you know, we've got a London office. We had a London office and an LA office. We had a New York office a few years ago three of the most expensive cities in the world. We had phenomenal locations. What that meant was we excluded, we consciously excluded talent who couldn't afford to be near or get to those locations to work with our business. That's right. So in the spirit of positive inclusion, we now open up our doors to a, a raft of other talent that we would otherwise not get. The other interesting dynamic that I didn't mention, but I know we've talked about, um, is uh, when you don't see people every day, you stop taking them for granted. We would do like a quarterly event where we'd get everyone together. You'd, you know, everyone would drive in for that day only. Um, and it was like a family reunion. It was special. People were hugging and we made it a big deal. And it felt like it, it was special and much more special than um, that a similar event with people that see each other every day. Yeah. When you're not packing up from the office to just go down the street to another yeah. location. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 
So I'm just going to throw in another question, although I was nearly wrapping up. We're businesses of, you know, low hundreds of people. We're creative yeah. agencies. We're supposed to be disruptive. We're creative. We're innovative. It's what we all get paid to do, right? And certainly across the business, all businesses in our space, there's entrepreneurialism. How does that relate to a big business, a 10,000 people business or um, a, a bank or, or a corporate or an FMCG where maybe that culture isn't in, instilled from the top? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a couple layers there. Um, you know, is a bank um, real estate locations that hold people's money or are they an enabler of an easier financial life? Right. Historically, it's the the first, and uh, and now I think there's a lot of companies, especially with a ton of disruption in um, technology and SaaS products and et cetera, et cetera, that allow companies to rethink what their real offering is. Um, you know, in advertising, you used to be a place where um, people worked and quote the magic happened that resulted in good ads, but now is that the same thing? And so it's I think it's forcing companies of all types to rethink both what they're trying to do and what their true differentiation is. Um, because if, if we're in advertising um, and in, um, you know, our job is not to make ads, our job is to have creative that results from better human insights on what people actually do and think um, and what motivates them that leads to a better bottom line for our clients. And so, if this whole season, um, whether it's offices or digital tools or Slack or email or whatever, um, lets us have a better distillation of what our actual core business is, well, then that's going to be that's going to be really good, despite all the pain we're all going through. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'd say amen to that. We have to find that silver lining and we have to uh, capitalize on it. And as terrible everything is, and the situation is for many, many people. Yeah. There, there is a need in some industries, sectors, spaces for some correction. Yeah, and actually, sure. in a crisis, if you don't come out of it finding opportunity, then you've missed the opportunity. Yeah, um, in its simplest form. Yep. Alec, I could talk to you for the next three hours. Um, I hope <laughs> we do get to do that in LA soon. Yeah, I'm really grateful you joined us for our jam session. Yeah, it's been great. I've always loved uh, talking with you and comparing notes and, and look forward to see what comes out of this season. All the positives. Likewise. And I wish your new business every success and see that go from strength to strength over the next few years. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. 